everybody. Welcome to the Ryan and Brian Show, a podcast about outside-the-box thinking and education. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And we'd like to thank everyone who downloaded episode four, the interview with uh, Jay and Brian about the ILI. And we're hoping to have them back sometime soon once the program gets rolling. Absolutely. So we'll stay tuned for that one. And uh, Ryan, like, would you like to introduce our wonderful guest for today? I would like to introduce our guest today. Um, so we have with us today Kate Rossiter. Kate is the, an instructional coach here at Howell Public Schools. Um, I'll do this. Kate, can you tell us what your job is and how people can get in touch with you on Twitter, maybe? Sure. Well, I do a little bit of everything. Um, I support the elementary schools, and I also help out in Fowlerville every Wednesday. And my focus is just supporting teachers and whatever they need. But with going with your podcast here, thinking outside the box, a lot of the work I do is around the project-based learning and just getting bringing that authentic piece in so that the teachers can see just different ways of incorporating fun and interesting activities throughout the day. So to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter. I love Twitter. And my, whatever it is, handle is at ki. R-O-S-S-E-T-T-E-R. Two S's and two T's. Rossiter. Thanks. So if it's all right with you, we're just going to start throwing some questions at you. All right. Sound good? Yep. Now, I know part of your job is traveling around, right? Yes. So as you travel around to a whole bunch of different schools, are there one or two projects or something that you worked on with people or maybe saw people do that really kind of still stick with you today? Yes. Well, it's been really fun. Like I said, um, the project-based learning is truly my passion, and it's so neat to see the different elementary schools embracing this and giving it a try. So I could probably talk to a million different projects, but I would have to say one of them that really sticks with me, probably because it was one of the first ones that I collaborated with the teacher on, um, was the idea of persuading um, the audience to improve recess at a particular school. And from that, the students picked three different ways that they thought recess would be improved. One was to um, start a baseball team. Another was to have a kid's lounge because, you know, after all, teachers have a lounge. Kids need a lounge, too. <laughs> and then the last way was to be, have a, like a little library or so, some sort of books outside. And their reasoning behind that was very valid, that not everybody wants to run and play, so they wanted some books. And so they did an amazing job. They wrote persuasive letters, and we presented it to PTO, um, to the school board members, um, to our, some parents came. And from that, we were able to, with the help of the high school, they built a little library, and it was installed on the playground, and now the children have access to books during recess time. So that's one that really just, you know, it was the first time I collaborated. It was just fun. And it really brought together the elementary school and our high school. And we had a big red ribbon. It was just great. I remember that project. Yeah. It was so cool to see the kids' faces when they saw the high school students that had actually created and built the wooden little library, right? Yes. When they brought it over and unveiled it. I was so excited to see it. But the look on those um, second graders, right? Yes. Their faces when it was unveiled, that was awesome. Yeah. And what was cool is it's also now been um, logged in. So if you were to go on little libraries, because you can have little free libraries across Michigan, there it's there. It's labeled, so you can go and check it out. So that was pretty cool. And then another one, like, again, I could go on and on, but one that just kind of spoke to me. Again, it was with a second grade. So the first one was third grade, actually, Ryan. Okay. But this was second grade. And um, we were trying to really take it out of our community. So I worked with um, some second graders, and we were talking about endangered marine life. And that's really hard to bring into Michigan 
being we don't have an ocean nearby. Um, but again, they ended up writing um, books and um, informational expository texts. They actually made books and they donated them to their the elementary's library, which was that's another one of those times where you see the smile on their face because if you were to go in and type in any of those students' names, they are like a published author. But the best part about it was we reached out to the Sea Life Aquarium in Auburn Hills, and we took a field trip there, and um, they posted the children's work on the actual different aquariums, and talk about like a wow. Um, they could not get through the aquarium fast enough to find their writing, and so we have pictures of them in front of the aquarium with their writing. And what was cool is we were there, but there were also people from anywhere. You know, anybody can go to the Sea Life Aquarium, and they were reading, you know, this second grade writing about these different marine animals and how we can help them be not endangered anymore. So it was pretty cool. Thank you. You're welcome. So thinking a little more broadly, yes. could you give us a, a description of what integration or a thematic approach looks like? Yes. Okay, so to me, this is kind of like, the, the reason I like project-based learning so much is we're always struggling with time, time constraints. And um, it's, you know, when you're thinking of, oh, this is my ELA block or this is my math block. Well, the whole idea behind project-based learning is integrating those subjects. So it's taking ideas from ELA, like informational text or um, some sort of writing genre. So it incorporates that. So you're giving a purpose using our Common Core standards, but then it integrates some sort of a science or a social studies with it. So there's just so much more purpose behind everything they're doing. But then that icing on the cake, I guess it would say, is that there's that authentic piece, that purpose that you know, we know students are going to write better for anybody other than the teacher. So just putting that little twist of, you know, getting it outside into the community or even if they're just sharing it with a buddy class or whatever, that authentic purpose behind it. So that integration is the key. Reminds me, uh, Brian, from our last show when Jay McDowell was talking about the, um, the, in the Innovative Learning Initiative, the ILI program, and Jay was talking about the new high school they're going to build where we're going to get away from, okay, you just had social studies for an hour. Now you're going to march down the hall 30 feet and go into math right. and continue that cycle. So right. that's what made me you know, connect to our, our most recent podcast. Well, and if you think about like how we work, and you know, it's not like I write and then, oh, I'm never going to write again. Like you know, I might go to the bank and then I might make a list for the grocery store. And so I'm constantly integrating throughout the day. So the kids need to see that this all flows together. There's nothing better than when I'm doing a project and they'll say, oh, that reminds me of something we were doing in math, or that goes with something, you know, that's the key, so. Do you think it's easier for perhaps a teacher in an elementary classroom to do this because they have all the subjects under one roof as opposed to, say, a high school or middle school setting where everything's yeah. siloed? I do, um, but I also think it's just it's a different mindset. You know, that's kind of hard because you're used to, because there is so much in the elementary where you really need to focus. I mean, we, get, we need to get those kids to read and, to, you know, the beginning skills of writing. Um, but I think it just flows better. And the whole key with reading, like if you were to look at it, they, those connections and being able to have the purpose behind it, it makes things flow better. But I know there's been a lot of great work at our middle schools of trying to start to integrate, you know, the middle, like I know Jamie was working with Lindsay and they were doing like ELAs with science. It just, it flows better. And like I said, again, it frees up a lot of the time constraints that teachers say. But to answer your question, yes, I think elementary is perfect because you have them for a longer length of time. So, um, Can you mention any other benefits of integrating 
that you've seen maybe unexpected? Unexpected. Well, it. I don't know if there's anything unexpected, but I just feel like there's a lot more purpose. There's a lot more engagement, and you just get more of that collaboration feeling with it. I mean, they. It's just everybody's bought in. And another thing that I like is um, that choice. You know, choice is such a big makes a big change with kids when they feel that they had a voice in something or they have a choice in something they're doing. I feel like that brings along the motivation, that brings along the engagement, and that just makes their projects much more firm or I don't know what the word is I'm trying to say. They just really get it and they want to do it. It's like they're not just going through steps to please the teacher. They've bought into it. So, uh, What is something that either you or maybe even other teachers used to do in the classroom that you would no longer do now? That's a really good question. So um, You wouldn't change anything, right? Yeah. No, I, I think like, yikes, I must not, I, I, I did the best that I could. Well, absolutely. But I guess now looking at it, if I was to go, I would not do, I'd get away from blocks. I really would. And I know that that's, I feel like I'm so grateful for Howell because they're kind of giving us that freedom now. Um, you know, when I first started, that was just the easiest way to do it. It's like, okay, this was my ELA time, so I was really going to focus on, you know, phonics or reading and my writing and my spelling. And then, okay, now I'm going to transition into math. It just made sense at the time. Now I would not. I would try to find ways to do those cross grades, you know, cross um, the curriculum and have them flow together, like math. How can I put math in with their science? That goes hand in hand pretty good. Social studies goes really well with writing. So just bringing that all together. So I would get away from the blocks of time, and I would really try to do more integration. And then my my biggest aha um, in this job and with a lot of the trainings that I've gone to is that, that value of choice. We need to give the students, have them have choice, whether it's choice in what they're reading, choice in what they're writing, you know, within limits because obviously they're still young, but I just think there's so much power to choice and interest. We need to know the students' interests. So, and that's sometimes I know hard for myself. I've I've gone, I'm starting to wade into choice, and yeah. it's hard because you have to let go of certain mm-hmm. things as a teacher. And yes. I know myself from 18 years of teaching at this point. Right. I've become a little control freak. I yes. got a little bit in me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sometimes a lot bit in me, yeah. right? And letting go of that and letting, but once you start to see the power of that choice, oh, yeah. it's, well, and, you let go te- of that, those yeah. past things. Really well, when you're a teacher, you think you're supposed to be teaching. Right. So it's like taking that step back and becoming the facilitator and that's fun, like when you can let it go. Like I'm like you, Ryan, like it was small doses. Like, okay, I'll let him do this. And then I'd like feel it getting crazy and like reel him back in. But, you know, that's when you know that you've done something right, when you can kind of step back and they're going with it. So, mm-hmm. And that also it's hard for the students too, right, when that ownership is pushed on them. Mm-hmm. And then in the student's mind, you will hear them actually say out loud, wait, what, you want me to come up with something right. or I get to choose? Right. And, you know, the kids, to play the game of school, it's so easy just mm-hmm. to sit in a classroom and, yes. and, okay, this is what they want me, this is the output I need to do, I'm going to go ahead right. and do that. But right. when they have to make those decisions, right. it really turns the tables. And uh, I, I don't know, I like where it's going with it. I do too, and I think that's a good point, Ryan. Like, we're kind of getting away from playing school. You know, we're, we're building people that are going to go into the future know how to collaborate, know how to problem solve, know how to think outside the box, know how to like 
have a voice and stand up for what they believe in. I mean, in the big scheme of things, I mean, yeah, you want your math and your reading and your writing to all be in there too, but those are the people that are going to make a difference in our world. So, you know, that's that's what would be my vision. So Because once you're done after 12th grade right. or college, you're done playing school. Exactly, exactly. I agree 100%. This might have already been answered just with a previous question, but I'm wondering if you have, like, you cannot go to a school or education in general and say, we're blowing everything up, we're starting right. over, right? You can only do a little bit at a time. So that being said, what would you say would be one method or one strategy, or maybe it's just one like area of focus, yeah. maybe it's a small thing or maybe it's a really big thing, right. what would be the one thing that you think would have the biggest bang for the buck? Like the one thing that would be helpful for education to focus on for the next year or two? Yeah, okay, so it's funny, Ryan. So I'm also involved in the soul group. That's like my soul sister. Can you Shout out to my what, soul what sisters. Soul is for our <laughs> listeners out there. Yeah. So for the past five years, um, I've been a part of this group. This is Soul S O E L, the study of early literacy. So you can follow us hashtag Soul Literacy. Um, but it's all it's amazing. It's um, all fourteen districts between Livingston and Washtenaw County, and we come together and we just. Um, do book studies, we have guest speakers come in and talk, and our focus is really early literacy and just how we can improve literacy because obviously there's a lot going on in the state right now and we're trying to make things better. But it has been uh, the highlight. Like I'm soul sister to the day I die Um, because I've learned so much from different teachers and what I love is there's no judgment. We just go in, we read something like an article, and then we have conversation around it, and then we bring it back to the reality. Like, well, it might look like this in Howell, but it might look like this in Ipsy or whatever it is. But with that said, I was yesterday in Seoul, and Dr. Nell Duke, who, ah, I like worship her, um, she was saying, it's just a short little article that we read yesterday, and it was called um, Three Literacy Practices That Work. And um, it just is like if you could throw these three things in throughout your day, you would be good. Um, And the big key, and when I first started teaching, I did a lot of this, but then I kind of got away from it, is that integrative writing. It's just a great way to model good writing. And it's a great way to start it no matter what subject area you're working with or the purpose behind your writing. You know, you're modeling um, good spacing, capitalization, you know, problem solving through spelling a word. Um, you know, an illustration that could go with it, digging deeper with detail, great way to start and send the kids out. So to me, I would bring integrate or inter- interactive writing back into my classroom. I would do more of that. Um, and then the other one, which is just the big one right now, is that fostering that motivation to read. Um, you know, getting kids excited about reading, no matter how it can look, you know, offering the choice, getting those books in that might not be of interest to us, but they're interesting to the students. And Dr. Duke said, you know, I know Pokemon's a big thing right now. It's not my favorite, but I would definitely have Pokemon books in my classroom. So I guess those would be the two big things that I just think are really great ways to get students excited about reading and writing. Well, you mentioned interactive writing, and that made me think of the way that Brian um, works with his students, and not necessarily writing, uh, but the speaking itself. So that that's kind of interesting what came to mind for me. Yeah, I, I, the first thing, as you're saying those <laughs> things, I'm thinking of the Kramer quote, Seinfeld throwback there, is this is 
scratching me right where I itch. It's exactly the kind of stuff that I do. Like mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, I saw you had the word morphology on there. Yes. I got, I got, I got a little, little tingle. I got the little. <laughs> yeah. But see, like if we start that elementary, it just keeps going. Right. Like we really yeah. are. They're just bigger at the high school. Yeah, they're just. They're, yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, in like in my situation, they're learning to read in a second language. Exactly. So getting the books in their hands. Right. I, it's all stuff that if go back and if you haven't listened to our past podcast. <laughs> Not you. I'm talking to the audience right, right. now. You've, you've heard me talk about this stuff yeah. before. Just So to hear it going on down at the elementary level like that just gets me super excited. Good. I know yeah. my son's school that they're doing a f- huge focus on literacy. Yes. And every time I hear that word literacy, I just smile yes. because it's exactly what the kids need. Yes. Yay. Okay. So I, I really want to be a soul sister. So. <laughs> <laughs> we do we have one brother. We have all soul sisters and there I is one I didn't say I wanted to be a soul brother. I said I wanted to be a soul sister. All right, Brian. So. I'll get you a t-shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, walk us through your first project-based learning. When you walked in, you said you were knee-deep in PBL yes, today. So could you I walk was. us through your first PBL experience? Okay. What mistakes a, were made? Yeah. What did you learn? Lots of mistakes. Lots of mistakes. I had no clue what I was doing. So again, um, going back to Seoul, I, um, we had had conversations about project-based learning, and um, I was teaching second grade at the time, and so I thought, I'm going to give this a try. Plus, it's something I am passionate about, and I feel like if a teacher is passionate about something, it's not going to hurt the kids. Give it a try. So I decided to try the super cool science show. And so the whole point was to teach students how to write a good how-to, but you're giving them the choice, you're giving them the audience and all that good stuff. So, you know, I had to send out the um, letter to my parents about I just need stuff because they needed stuff to explore with. And what age kids are you working with My at this second point? graders, mm-hmm. yeah, Ryan, you were right next door, right. so you probably yeah. heard a lot of it. And so um, my biggest thing was like trying to fit in the time because at the time my mind wasn't wrapped around the integration. So it was like, oh, should I do it during ELA? Should mm-hmm. I do it during science? And so that was a hard part to figure it out. But I started doing some of it during my writing block and then I tied some of it into science. And so the whole basis behind it was we modeled, we tried some different science experiments like dancing rice, really cool, um, floating egg. So we did all these different experiments. And you have all these great launch texts and mentor texts to use. But then the kids get to pick an experiment and you give them the stuff and they just go. And it just was, yeah. There were times, because again, going back to what you and I were just talking about, Brian, I kind of like things under control, and I wanted things manageable. And I mean, we're talking eggs and water and food coloring and moldy bread, and and I just was like, sounds what? like my pantry. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me too. Or your refrigerator, depending, right? <laughs> right. And I just remember there were times I was like, oh dear God, oh dear, like what is going on? And I thought, oh, if my administrator walks in right now, Kate Roster's gone. <laughs> but um, I, I let it go, and I'd always bring it back. And they, they'd have to report. It wasn't just like a you know free for all. Like they'd have to report on what they did, what they learned. And then as I as the process went on, it got a little bit easier because what I noticed is they had research notebooks. What I was noticing is that the kids were revising and fixing things really without me up there doing some mini lesson on how to revise. It just was coming naturally because they really wanted that experiment to work. And so it went it. 
it worked. It did work. And I remember a dear friend of mine, I'm not going to mention any names, but she came in at one point and she was like, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. And I said, just do a, do me a favor and just walk around and see. And she came back and she was like, oh my gosh, even though it looked a little bit crazy, they knew what they were doing and they were on task. So then I wiped my forehead and thought, okay, I'm doing something good. So it was it was a lot of work, a lot of front-loading. If I were to do it again, I would do it differently. Um, but it worked. In the long run, was it perfect? No. Did I make mistakes? Absolutely. Did my kids make mistakes? Yep. Could it have been better? Yep. But it worked. The kids loved it. And then at the end, we presented. We had like a little science show. And the, it was so cute. Like they came in like white shirts like they you know we had like doctor you know like they were official and they but they knew what they were doing and they were able to teach their experiment to someone else and it was just a really highlight for me and so then from there I knew that this does work and I had to trust myself in the process and also get my um, administrator on board but then it, it worked so yeah, it was scary, but I did it. And I survived, and it was cool. <laughs> well, I think that really goes to the heart of what this podcast is about, is, is not even necessarily thinking outside of the box, but then living outside yes. of the box. Mm-hmm. And that can be terrifying. It was terrifying, yes. But I had a student say to me my first year of teaching AP class, I said, we were reflecting on the year, and he said, you know what? You did a good job, and the first pancake is always the worst. <laughs> oh, I like and that. That stuck with me. Yeah, and so, which I like that. Doesn't mean it's going to taste terrible, but it might not look pretty. But yeah, but it gets the job off, done, right? To go after that, though, it's cute, though, Brian, because I really wasn't sure. But then, since then, you know, I'm in this new role, and um, I happened to go into a fourth grade classroom, and some of those students I had in second grade. And so when we, when I walked in to kind of help collaborate with this phenomenal teacher, I said, hey, we're going to try project-based learning. And they're like, was that like that science we did in second grade? So I thought, okay, it must have worked because it kind of, you know, they were excited again. So I guess in the long run, even though at times I was like, oh, dear, oh, dear, Mm -hmm. in the big scheme of things, it made a difference. So, yeah. And that always goes back to the reflective piece we've been talking about in the last few is that it's great. I love hearing you talk about it and being reflective about it. And you can learn from your mistakes, but Absolutely. that doesn't make it any less powerful of an experience for kids. Right. Yeah. So that's good. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears. We only have a couple minutes left. I wanted to go okay. some rapid fire questions we ask uh, our okay. guests that come on the show, okay? Yes. We're going to skip one of them because you already covered covered that with some of your previous answers, but I'm good. wondering, let's say 20 years from now, what do you hope the education, K-12 education looks like 20 years from now? Okay. Engaging. Choice and integration, just everything's integrated. We're not having like, oh, this is our math time. It's all flowing together, and there's always that real-world purpose behind it. I think that would be really neat. Almost like running our own little like um, businesses, like a little Google in an elementary school. Like a Google. I don't know. I just think it'd be cool. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, next one. If you could, re- I'm sorry, if you could create a required course for graduation, what would it cover? What would it look like? Okay, I think that they should do that, having people understand the um, power of linking your curriculum together, like that integration, I know I keep going back to that, but just the the power, how much more you can get more bang for your buck by integrating everything. And I'm happy to say that Grand Valley um, is going to be starting further undergrad teachers, they have to go through um, a course. I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's this whole idea of thinking outside the box 
box on project-based learning. So Grand Valley is offering that. Excellent. Oh, there you go. Podcast sponsor, huh? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Grand Valley. What was I not supposed to say? Like no, a, no, that's okay. okay. I like so, it. But I think that would be so much powerful because I can say the people that I'm working with now, it's just it's a hard thing to understand how to put it all together. Mm-hmm. And that's like a lot of the conversations that I'm having with teachers. So, yeah, I think that would be neat if you could see how it would work. Use those standards, you know, how they can align. And Oh, there's ELA, but gosh, that could really flow into math. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Last question. Okay. Who are a couple people professionally that get you inspired, that get you pumped up, right? You hear their names or, or yes. you go see them talk and you're wanting to tell people what about who, Like the who stalkers. <laughs> yeah. Well, or there's that. You can go there too. I, I, I am wasn't going to go there. Right? You know. Well, I will. Because if you ever see on Twitter, man, I, I track these people down. So I already referred to Dr. Nell Duke. Oh, I love, love her. Can you come within 150 feet of Dr. Nell Duke? Yes. Oh, great. She, she even calls me Kate. Like, I feel, and she's like, don't call me Dr. Duke, call me Nell. So I get really wow. excited. Yeah. But um, just the work she has done around early literacy and the essentials, I have to say the essentials, the the essentials of early literacy, I know we're doing a lot of good work around that now. Um, We're focusing on one and three this year, but we've got a lot of good work there. So she is just, she is going to fight for us. You know, she sees the value of um, that early literacy and the power behind it. And she, yeah, she's a researcher, but she gets it. Like, she's just, I could listen to her all day. So she's one of mine. I, I love Dr. Duke. Okay, and then um, Dr. Ernest Morrell. He is, wow. Um, Every Child is a Super Reader is his book. And he talks about the seven strengths of a super reader. And it's not what you would think. Fluency and comprehension is kindness and hope and courage. Mm-hmm. And it's making those connections and looking at reading through a different lens. So I've had the privilege he works with our soul group and he's just the most wonderful soft-spoken this is how he talks the whole time and he really helps you see the power of finding the strength of that child and then bringing in the families he's a big advocate for having that home school relationship and then my last I just heard and Ryan knows I'm kind of a groupie now um Dr. Chris Edmond he's the hip-hop teacher you should follow him Brian he does um, all this science and math. He's got, like, so many doctrines after his name. I don't even know. But he's, he's, he's known as the hip-hop teacher. Unbelievable. And he's all about making that connection with kids. He talks about, you know, learning their swag and your swag and learning their grit and your grit and really getting into it with the kids so they can see their reality in you. And he's just, I saw him speak. He was teacher of the year. You can follow him on TED Talk. And, oh, my gosh, he's got major swag, first of all. Like, he's got you within five minutes. But, oh, my gosh. Plus hip-hop, you know, I kind of have a, owns my heart because of my son. So <laughs> so those are my three. I know I, I couldn't pick just one. Sorry. Those are my three. You're allowed. We'll, we'll allow it. Okay. Will, will we allow it? We'll, well, if you get your soul sister teacher. We'll <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. Make, yeah. I can do that for you. I can hold off publishing the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Is this Amazon Prime? How is this coming through? That's right. <laughs> the drone. Is a drone going to deliver it? <laughs> Kate Rossiter, thank you so much for coming on the Ryan O'Brien Show. You are welcome. Thank you. Have a good day. And we'll be back right after this. Well, welcome back. We want to thank, once again, Kate Rossiter for that great interview. Very interesting stuff. 
Now it's time for our regular show features. First up are our podcast recommendations. Ryan, what are you listening to? I'm listening to Freakonomics. Oh. Uh, yeah, you, you like that podcast? I've never heard it, but I've read the book. Yep, so Freakonomics podcast is based on the book Freakonomics. Uh, Stephen Dubner is the host of the podcast. He was a co-author of the book. It is such a really interesting podcast. They go take one idea and break it down and go really in-depth into it. And I think the tagline of the podcast is the, um, find the hidden side of everything. And so they really look at many sides of an issue, and you'll stop after, well, after you listen to the podcast. You'll really be thinking and thinking differently about what it was. Um, one of the episodes, I think it's episode 244, is one that I really, really like. It's called How to Be Great at Just About Anything. And it's Malcolm Gladwell kind of talks about that with his 10,000-hour rule. It's so fascinating to hear all these different experts talk about how you can become uh, an expert level at just about anything and what you need to do to make it happen. I know it sounds impossible, right? But they break it down in such an interesting way. Freakonomics, it's at Freakonomics.com or you can find it in Apple Podcast or any podcast app. Great. How about you, Brian? What podcast have you been listening to? I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm starting to get towards the end of my... uh... My, my recommendation list that's on my currently listen to. Sure. So I'm going to be branching out soon so we can keep keep the recommendations rolling for sure. So I kind of hesitated on this one, to be honest. So I chose one that I like to listen to. It's called Radio Ambulante, which is, yes, it's in Spanish. Okay. It's a Spanish podcast. Um, it's through NPR. And um, the host, Daniel Aracon, he... Um, Basically, is the intro, he does the intro. Sometimes he gets involved with the stories, but a lot of times it's journalists from different countries, uh, Spanish-speaking countries, that come in and they tell a story. Okay. Um, if you don't speak Spanish, nobody's perfect. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> they actually have uh, the transcripts on there, both in English and in Spanish. Yes. So if you want to, it's one way you could actually start to learn Spanish on your own, I guess, through through those stories. Huh. Um, but it, the the stories that they tell on there, I've I've listened to maybe five or six stories all the way through, uh, and there's a lot more to, than that to listen to. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. One of the most fascinating ones is called Doctor. Is this normal? And what it's about is a woman who lives in Colombia where beauty is almost a sport and having plastic surgery is a very common thing and illegal plastic surgeries are very common. Yeah. Well, she went to this doctor um, who gave her plastic surgery, who was recommended by her friend. She had had a procedure. And um, I don't want to give away too much in the in the form of spoilers here, but I used it in my AP classroom. Yeah, you were telling me about this off the air a while ago. Right, and it was when they got to a certain point in the podcast, there was a gasp, an audible gasp from my AP students because of what happened in the story. And it, there are those if it's a story that can engage a 16 or 17-year-old, yes. it's a story that can engage any of us, I imagine. Yes. There's another one that I listen to. It's called Yo Soy Marron, or I'm Brown. And it's about this guy from Chile, I believe, who moved to Maine to be with, with his wife and how things changed around the time of the 2016 election for his experience in the United States. So there's a lot of different stories from all around the Spanish-speaking world. There's about one about a superhero who lives in Argentina. Um, there's just a lot of crazy stories. And some of them are really short, easily digestible. Some of them are more long-form podcasts. But um, there was one right after the earthquake in Mexico 
about people's reactions to it. And just to hear people in real time reacting to such a, a major event, you know, natural disaster, was really powerful. So even if you don't speak Spanish, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's called Radio Ambulante. It's, um, the, I won't spell it out. The link will be on our show notes. Yeah. And uh, definitely check it out. If you, don't, if you speak Spanish, you're going to get a chance to practice it and, and hear different accents and, and new vocabulary. But if, if, again, there's those English transcripts, which to make it understandable. And sometimes just following along in English, I think while listening to it, you can get the sense of what's going on and, and still understand, maybe not without understanding exactly word for word what's being spoken. So Yeah, when you brought up the transcripts, that reminds me that Freakonomics also has all of their, it's in English, but all of the transcripts are online as well. And any links to any research um, they talk about are online as, as well. And so that makes me think both of these podcasts are probably, um, you could be used in an education setting for students. Not only can they listen, but can they read along? And there's probably links interactive um, for each site as well. I know you use them in your class, and I think that's a really cool way um, to get the kids involved with the culture. And maybe one day our podcast will be used in an education class at a university. Who's to say? Perhaps. We, we can dream big. We'll have to expand our uh, podcast recommendations for episode 244 to make that happen. <laughs> That's right. We're listening to a lot of stuff. So now it's time for Ed, Te- Ed Tech Talk with Ryan. What's new? Feedly. You like Feedly. Feedly is a... Um, well, it's an app that's free, but I prefer to use Feedly as a Chrome extension on my desktop computer. A lot of people will ask me, hey, Ryan, how did you know about that tech tip? How did you know about that tech tool? How do you have time to research and look up all of this stuff? I don't. I don't know who has time to do that. Nobody, right? So Feedly, um, it's a blog reader. What you do is subscribe to different blogs that you follow in Feedly, and it will compile all of your blogs into one list or you can chunk it up into sublist and that way all of the information comes to you you're not out there looking for everything so in your feedly inbox you can go through and check off blogs that you've read you can save more for later highlight parts that you like tag them and so on and so forth it's so much easier to go on feedly in the morning see what's new what's coming in from favorite blog authors or blog posts that you like, as opposed to going out there and doing Google searches for all kinds of things. Um, so whatever you're interested in, do some blog searches for that on Feedly, add them to your Feedly feed, and you are gonna love it. Your inbox will be full of stuff that you want, right? That's Feedly.com. That's, that's, that's fascinating, because I know within the realm of world language teachers that there are a ton of bloggers, and I follow them on Twitter, and it's hard to keep up with them a lot because I know mm-hmm. there's just so much good stuff pouring out. And I've got to imagine that for other disciplines that that's, that's true as well, that there's so many good bloggers out there. So for teachers, I, for me personally, I will be going and adding that Chrome extension yeah. right after because I just can't keep up. It's hard. It is hard. No one can keep up. It's too hard to track things down. I love it when things come to you. Um, yeah, give Feedly a try. Excellent. Tell them I sent you. Is there a discount? Yeah, right. <laughs> We're moving on to our segment called Brian's Read. Well, uh, Brian takes a look at some interesting uh, thing that's published out there. What do you got for us this week, Brian? I actually don't have a specific article this week, but actually a blog you could add to your Feedly. There you go. There you go. It's perfect. It's called Teacher in a Strange Land. And Teacher in a Strange Land is a blog that's part of uh, the Education Week, edweek.org uh, website. And it hit me as I was trying to think of what read to bring up for this episode that I read this all the time. 
And the one of the reasons I read this all the time is because I am friends with my middle school band teacher on Facebook. Okay. And she is the author of most of the articles on the Teacher in a Strange Land blog. We've come full circle. We have come full circle, yes. It's really interesting. Now, she was a very passionate teacher. She taught band, like I said. Um, and she was able to get 6th and 6th and 7th and 8th graders playing very well. I was an excellent trombonist by the end of 8th grade. Okay. Um, but I didn't realize that she had such a passion for education. Her name's Nancy Flanagan. should mention that now. Um, I didn't realize that she had such a passion for education policy, education in general. Uh, it doesn't surprise me now that I find it out because passionate teacher, passionate about the profession as well. So uh, some of the headlines I'm just looking here. Are, we need civic online reasoning in our schools. Sing on children, how the arts help social movements take flight. Ten things we should expect public schools to do. A lot of really good takes on education stuff that we can learn as teachers, but also pass on to our administration, policymakers. Uh, it's a great blog, and she writes really well. Uh, some humor put in there as well, and I know she's a great teacher and she's a great blogger, so I wanted to pass that on to everybody. I didn't know you played trombone. I don't. You did? I did. Past tense. Yeah. I'll bring in, I'll dust off the trumpet, I'll bring it in, we'll play the uh, the theme song to the podcast, we'll do an outro. There you go, let's do it. It's still in my mom's basement, so. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) To work on the chops a little bit, though. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning in. I want to go ahead and thank uh, our guest, Kate Roster, again for coming in. Wasn't that great? That was amazing. And you can find all of our shows on our website, ryanandbryanshow.com, that's Brian with an I. Yeah, that's right. And where are you at on Twitter? And I'm at RyanHorn0076. Nice. And I'm at ProfeRiordan. That's P-R-O-F-E-R-I-O-R-D-A-N. And I think that'll do it for this time. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>